A warning before we begin. Today's episode includes discussions of domestic abuse and homicide. Caution is advised for listeners under 13. It can feel powerless to see someone in danger and not know how to help, especially if they haven't asked for your help, especially if by helping, you might be putting yourself at risk. When do you step in? What do you do? And how far would you go for a friend, a neighbor, an acquaintance? It can be hard to know, and the answers weren't any easier a century ago. On a deserted island, with no law, no resources, and barely anyone around at all. I'm Sarah Turney, and this is Disappearances, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Thursday, I'll examine a new missing person case ripped from history. I want to better understand the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. Today, I'm introducing you to Eloise von Wagner Bosquet and her neighbors on a tiny island in the Galapagos. As soon as Eloise arrived on Floriana in October 1932, she threatened the island's peaceful existence with dreams of building a hotel. Then she disappeared. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover inside the house there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I need to begin by saying that almost everything we know about Eloise von Wagner-Bosquet comes from one source, a woman named Dora Strauch. Dora was one of six adults who lived with Eloise in the Galapagos. She's written and spoken about the experience pretty extensively, but there's very little recourse for backing up her account of the rest. And she's only one person. She couldn't have had her eyes on everything that happened on the island. She didn't have her eyes on the events that happened behind closed doors. But with cases like these, we have to use all the information we have at our disposal. And Dora is our best way in. 
So I'm starting today's story in 1929, Germany. Hitler's rising to power. A second world war is beginning to feel imminent. And Dora Strauch and her lover, Dr. Friedrich Ritter, are yearning for an escape. Friedrich was once Dora's therapist. That's how the affair started. But ever since they met, they've dreamt of leaving their spouses and running away to a deserted island somewhere, someplace off the grid, where money, society, and war don't exist. It starts as a fantasy. They even pick out their ideal place, a real island archipelago off the coast of Ecuador, a place that explorer William Beebe described as the world's end, where Charles Darwin conducted research that led to his theories of natural selection and evolution. The Galapagos Islands. For the most part, this type of plan would be a pipe dream, but Dora and Friedrich make it a reality. On July 4th, 1929, Dora and Friedrich set sail for Guayaquil, Ecuador. They're excited, nervous, and unprepared for the adventure that awaits. It's a long journey, but they make it to Guayaquil in one piece. There, they spend a lot of time waiting. There's only one small boat that ferries passengers and supplies from mainland South America to the Galapagos, and it doesn't run very often. So it takes another month or so before they actually arrive in their long-awaited slice of paradise, an island in the Galapagos called Floriana. Floriana is tiny. It's smaller than the borough of Brooklyn, but unlike Brooklyn, the population is pretty much zero. On a 66-square-mile island, the closest human is 60 miles away, living on a completely different parcel of land. It's exactly what Dora and Friedrich wanted, complete and utter isolation. But at the same time, the reality of what they signed up for starts to sink in. There's no easy way to abort their social experiment now. No one they can call for help. No stores to replenish the limited supplies they've brought. So Dora and Friedrich get to work. They get acquainted with their new home, construct a small homestead from scratch, build some gardens, plant the seeds they brought with them from Germany to grow their own food. They don't plan on hunting, they're both vegetarians, but they do adopt a donkey and catch some chickens to raise for eggs. But life on Floriana is hardly filled with the peace and tranquility they once imagined. The work is non-stop and physically taxing, and in time, it takes a toll on Dora and Friedrich. According to Dora, their relationship devolves into something she can only describe as horrible. And based on the letters Friedrich sends back home, his love for Dora seems to evolve into disdain. Friedrich has this mantra he repeats over and over. Paradise cannot be found. It has to be created. In other words, to build their paradise, they can't afford to take breaks. But Friedrich's expectations aren't sustainable. Dora lives with multiple sclerosis, 
she can't reasonably be expected to pull so much weight so much of the time. Dora sees what life on the island is doing to them. She writes in her diary, quote, In a wild place like Floriana, the primitive character of each person comes out so that everybody shows his own true face. A rare sight in this world, and rather disconcerting. End quote. Things become so bad that Dora starts wanting someone, anyone, to join them on Floriana to break the tension. She'd go mad with joy if she could have someone else to talk to, to defend her point of view, to take her side in all the fights they keep getting into. And all these problems bubble to the surface before Friedrich and Dora's letters home leak to the German press. That's when things really get complicated. The couple soon becomes fodder for tabloids and newspaper stories, basically all of which paint a salacious picture of the couple, a doctor, his mistress, and a wild lifestyle on a distant island. The phrases used to describe them range from eccentric philosophers to nudist cavemen. None of it is particularly kind or captures the naturalist ideas that drove them to Floriana in the first place. But the good news for Dora is, the location of their secret home has now been revealed. And by August 1932, three years after their arrival, they get visitors. One day, they see a small boat off the coast and it looks like it's approaching. Fishermen and research teams have come ashore before, but Dora suspects this is different. And she's right. It's a family. Heinz Wittmer, his pregnant wife Margaret, and their 13-year-old son Harry. They're German as well and heard about Floriana from the papers. When they step off the boat, they walk up to Friedrich and Dora and are basically like, hey, we're here to stay. As much as Dora wanted the company, the Wittmer's presence isn't part of her and Friedrich's original plan. So while they both do their best to be hospitable, they keep their distance. They offer the family seeds and show them to a cave that's about a two-hour hike away from their homestead. They keep up a neighborly relationship for a while, but eventually things devolve. The Wittmers want more than Dora and Friedrich are willing to give. For example, Heinz and Margaret ask for Friedrich's help delivering their baby, even though he keeps telling them he left his old life behind, including medicine. He didn't run away from civilization to attend to the needs of strangers. And after a while, Friedrich starts to feel like the Wittmers came to Floriana expecting to be treated as guests, and he's not happy about it. In his eyes, he owes them nothing. They're the intruders, and they're not the last to arrive. A few months later, on October 15, 1932, the dynamic of Floriana changes again, this time with the arrival of three more Europeans. Dora and Friedrich look up from their camp and see a woman riding a donkey in their direction. She looks to be about 40, and there are two men walking beside her on foot. One's thin and blonde, the other's tall with dark features. When they reach Dora and Friedrich, 
the woman introduces herself as the Baroness Eloise von Wagner Bosquet from Paris. Which is the first shock. What's a French Baroness doing in the Galapagos? But then, Eloise apparently holds out her hand, palm down in front of Dora, and gets upset when Dora refuses to kiss it. The interaction goes from bad to worse when Eloise reveals her true intentions for coming to Floriana. She's going to build a hotel for millionaires. She introduces the dark-haired man accompanying her as Robert Philipson, her architect, and the light-haired man as Rudolf Lorenz, her engineer. But Dora and Friedrich get the sneaking suspicion there's more going on between them than Eloise is letting on. The men appear to be far more than business partners. They're removing her shoes, carrying her bags, and doting on her every move. It's strange. It's like they're under her spell. When she dismounts from her donkey, Eloise sits down in one of Dora and Friedrich's lawn chairs and demands they fetch her a cup of tea. Like she expects Dora and Friedrich to fall prey to her charms as well. It's a strange, sudden culture shock after so many years of living off the land in almost complete isolation. Dora and Friedrich thought they left high society behind. They thought they left war behind. But here's Eloise, an alleged baroness, seemingly looking for a fight. Dora and Friedrich aren't the only ones upset by Eloise's presence. Eloise and her business partners, the ones Dora and Friedrich suspect are actually her lovers, they piss everyone off. First, they set up camp for themselves in the same area the Wittmers carved out as their own. Then, she bathes in the fresh water stream they use for drinking. To make matters worse, she demands that Dora and Friedrich share supplies anytime the rare shipment arrives. And after they begrudgingly agree, she steals rice meant for the Wittmers, a growing family who now have a newborn child. Other parts of Eloise's behavior are just strange. She writes these letters using a pseudonym and sends them back to Europe. They not so subtly suggest newspapers take an interest in the new star of Floriana, her, as if she's her own agent and joining the cast of real-world Floriana. And when the Wittmers find out about the messages, they're outraged. Eloise is obviously self-centered and has little regard for anyone else or the island's limited resources. Then, about a month into her stay, she proves she's dangerous as well. One afternoon, two Norwegians arrive on Floriana from a nearby island, looking to hunt some game. It's not unusual for hunters to visit the island from time to time. It's never caused any problems before. But when one of the Norwegians kills what Eloise claims is her calf, she and her partner Robert chase the Norwegians with loaded rifles. They tear their clothes to shreds, threaten to shoot, and while all this is happening, Eloise starts screaming about how the island, and everything on it, belongs to her. It's scary to witness. And for Dora and Friedrich, it feels like an omen of what's to come. Afterward, Dora writes in her journal, quote, 
This was the Baroness's Floriana, a place where cruelty and evil passions could run wild because there was no world with police and public opinion to check their worst excesses, end quote. And there isn't anyone to help. Friedrich and the Norwegians speak with the governor of the Galapagos about the attack. He follows up, but for some reason, she's allowed to host her own inquisition at her homestead. And not only does Eloise charm her way out of trouble, the governor gives her four square miles of land to build her hotel and grants her open access to the Wittmer's freshwater spring. I don't know how this happens, but Eloise reportedly has impressive powers of persuasion, particularly when it comes to men. To pour salt in an open wound, Eloise starts referring to herself as the Empress of Floriana when speaking to anyone, including the other residents, which naturally gets on everyone's nerves. And what creates a bond quicker than a common enemy? So, one day, Heinz Wittmer approaches Dora and Friedrich about the Baroness. He's like, we need to put our differences aside and work together. And Dora and Friedrich agree. Something should probably be done about Eloise if they all want to survive. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. By 1933, Floriana is no longer an escape for Dora Strauch and Friedrich Ritter. The island's now home to a population of nine, including the Wittmers, a family of four, the Baroness Eloise von Wagner Bosquet, and her two lovers and supposed business partners, Rudolf and Robert. About six months after Eloise's arrival, Dora and Friedrich receive a visit from Rudolf, He's distraught. A shell of the man he was when he arrived. His hands are bruised and scabbed. And he provides some disturbing insight into what's been happening back at their homestead. He tells Dora and Friedrich that he and Eloise are no longer together. She cut things off. And ever since, she's been treating him like a servant. He's forced to wait on her hand and foot. He does everything from fetching her glasses to taking off her shoes, and he performs all the manual labor while Eloise and Robert watch, day and night, without rest. And Rudolph says he's terrified of what will happen if he doesn't. Now, this is domestic abuse, period. 
I feel like I shouldn't have to say these things, but abusers can be women. Victims can be men. Domestic abuse happens outside of traditional relationships, and it doesn't always look like physical violence. And Eloise fits the mold of an abuser to a T. Like almost all abusers, she knows what she's doing. It's a conscious, calculated effort. And she waits to take her hostility out on her victim until they're in private. I'm not a psychologist, so I can't make a diagnosis. But Eloise shows signs of being a specific type of abuser, a narcissistic abuser. She has a history of rage and violence, a grand sense of self-importance, a lack of empathy for others, a constant need for attention and praise. And she lies about her accomplishments and social connections. Now, I did some digging of my own to try to find out who Eloise really was before arriving in Floriana, and there's nothing. So again, I have to go on Dora's account. And Rudolph apparently tells Dora and Friedrich that Eloise is not a baroness at all. She's married to some guy back in France who isn't a member of any nobility, and she left him in Paris. When Rudolph first met Eloise, she told him these wild stories about her past, how she was a dancer, and at one point, a spy. It seemed a little strange. She didn't appear to be wealthy or well-connected, but it didn't really matter. Rudolph felt there was a connection between them. They fell in love, opened a boutique in Paris behind her husband's back, and hired Robert to work as a salesman. They really did arrive in the Galapagos with plans to start another business venture. But at some point, the dynamics between all three of them changed. The situation spun out of control. It's worse than he could have ever imagined. Rudolph confides in Dora and Friedrich that he wants to leave Eloise, but doesn't know how. It's not like he can take the next train out of town. If he hides somewhere on the island, he's sure Eloise will find him. And he's afraid of what she'll do to him if she does. She's already proven she can get away with assaulting someone and threatening their life. The governor of Galapagos seems to be in her pocket. So when Rudolph leaves Dora and Friedrich, he returns to Eloise's camp and hopes that he'll be able to get on the next ship that comes. By March 1934, a droughts hit the island. There's no ships bringing supplies or transport to and from the mainland. Temperatures are scalding. At times, they reach 120 degrees Fahrenheit in the shade. The freshwater spring that everyone's been using for drinking water has mostly dried up. Dead animal carcasses litter the island, and the smell of rotting flesh is overwhelming. At Eloise's camp, they've run through most of their food and supplies. Most of their crops and cattle have died. With no potential investors visiting the island, the hotel venture has come to a complete standstill, and all of Eloise's frustrations are being taken out on Rudolph. Robert and Eloise deny him what little food and drink they have left. And according to the Wittmers, they start hearing Rudolph's cries coming from Eloise's homestead, suggesting they might be beating him as well. 
Dora and Friedrich consider intervening, but after what happened to the Norwegian hunters, they decide it's not worth risking their own personal safety. The Wittmers, on the other hand, see how dire the situation is and take action. They're worried Rudolf might not survive much longer. So the Wittmers take Rudolf in. The asylum doesn't fix things though, it starts a cycle. Eloise visits the Wittmers, begging for Rudolf to come back. He listens, he goes back to her, then he returns again, sometimes hours, sometimes days later, battered and emotionally drained. Now, unfortunately, this isn't all that surprising. There are many different reasons victims return to their abusers, none of which are their fault, but it happens all too often. Fully leaving an abusive relationship can take years of hard work and often requires external support and resources, which obviously Rudolf doesn't have on Floriana. He barely has food or water. No one on the island does. Everyone just kind of feels like they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Then around March 19th, the residents of Floriana hear a blood-chilling scream echo across the island. The sound lingers in the air longer than it should. At first, Dora wonders if the heat's making her delirious, until Friedrich confirms he heard it too, but they don't investigate. A week later, Margaret Wittmer shows up at Dora and Friedrich's camp, which is unusual according to Dora. Margaret never comes down to their camp, certainly not without her husband, and yet, here she is. She's with Rudolph and shares the following story. Three days ago, Eloise stopped by the Wittmers asking for Rudolph as usual. She said some of her friends had arrived on the island. Their boat was anchored somewhere and Eloise and Robert were planning to sail with them to Tahiti, maybe build a hotel there instead. According to Margaret, Eloise said she would return at some point and wanted Rudolph to watch over their stuff in the meantime. Eloise left. Then when Rudolph went over to their camp later, the place was deserted. There was no trace of Robert or Eloise anywhere. They seemed to have left. Now, Dora and Friedrich find this narrative strange for a few reasons. One, there was a rehearsed quality to Margaret's story. Two, they haven't seen a ship anchor in Floriana in months. And if a yacht arrived, they likely would have noticed it since they're the closest in proximity to the bay. Three, Rudolph offers to sell them some of Eloise's things. And four, this is the first time they've seen anyone since that blood-curdling scream, and neither Margaret nor Rudolph mention it. Unable to make heads or tails of the situation, Dora and Friedrich head over to Eloise's home, ostensibly to shop, but also to figure out what's going on. This is when they notice a book sitting amongst the clothes and suitcases Eloise and Robert left behind. It's Eloise's good luck charm, a copy of the novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray, the one item she never leaves home without. So Dora asks Rudolph a leading question. What will happen if Eloise returns and asks for her things back? 
and Rudolph reportedly responds with a confidence he hasn't displayed in months and says, quote, Don't worry, there's no danger of that. Not anymore. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. In March 1934, Eloise von Wagner Bosquet and her lover Robert Philipson disappear from Floriana, one week after a chilling scream echoed across the island. Doris Strauch and Friedrich Ritter suspect the explanation they're given from Rudolf Lorenz and Margaret Wittmer that Eloise and Robert sailed to Tahiti with friends is a lie. They believe it's more like that after months of abuse, Rudolph reached a breaking point and killed Eloise and Robert. In their mind, their only question is, did he act alone or have help from the Wittmers? Either way, Dora and Friedrich keep their suspicions to themselves. As far as they're concerned, they can't trust anyone. And even if they did find out that Eloise and Robert were murdered, what would they do with that information? So after leaving Eloise's home that day, they don't ask any more questions. There's no investigation, no search. They keep to themselves and carry on trying to survive. On April 21st, 1934, Rain finally returns to Floriana. The plants and jungle spring back to life and life just gets a bit easier. With the drought gone, Dora and Friedrich hope that a fishing vessel or cargo ship will pass by the island soon, but it takes two more months before one actually does. On July 10th, a boat arrives, owned by a Norwegian expat from the neighboring island of Santa Cruz. The captain, who goes by Nugarud, is accompanied by a Swiss reporter, and they want to meet the so-called Empress of Floriana and bring her story back to Sweden. But at this point, Eloise has been gone for over five months. The Norwegians are told the same story Dora and Friedrich were. Eloise and Robert sailed for Tahiti. They also find the details suspicious, but like Dora and Friedrich, they do nothing about it. And when he asks, they agree to take Rudolph back to Santa Cruz, where he can hop on a ship to Guayaquil before heading home to France. Before the Norwegians set sail, Dora and Friedrich have Rudolph over for one final lunch to say their goodbyes. Even with so many questions on their mind, Rudolph was one of the few people they formed a connection with on Floriana. And this is likely going to be the last time they ever see him. 
Over their meal, Rudolph apparently says to Dora, I don't know why, but I'm afraid of this trip somehow. By Dora's own account, she doesn't understand this, but she senses something too. Something in the air that just doesn't feel right. But she shrugs it off. After all, something hasn't felt right since Eloise went missing. Or really, since she stepped foot on the island. She says goodbye to Rudolph and watches as he finally escapes the island. Three months later, in November 1934, a phone rings somewhere in Los Angeles, California. Captain Hancock answers. Hancock runs a research vessel called the Valero. The journalist on the other end of the line tells him that two bodies have been found on the deserted island of Marchena, about 60 miles north of Floriana. He decides to investigate. Now, this isn't a coincidence. Captain Hancock and his crew are no strangers to the Galapagos or Floriana. They've visited its residents a few times before. They've brought goods and supplies at times. They've even documented their lives on film. Hancock is particularly interested in these bodies because he received a letter from Friedrich Ritter after Eloise and Robert went missing. It alluded to some mystery and intrigue that Friedrich said he would elaborate on during the captain's next visit. Hancock and his crew drop anchor at Marchena on November 23rd. The crew quickly finds the two corpses based on the location they were given. They're already badly decomposing but he identifies them right away. It's not Eloise or Robert. It's Rudolf and Nugarud, the Norwegian captain of his getaway boat. Hancock assumes the two most likely ran out of gas on their way to the mainland. Violent seas must have washed them ashore on Marchena, and they died of thirst and starvation. A week later, Hancock and his crew stopped by Floriana, expecting to deliver the sad news to the residents and follow up on Friedrich's letter. Only to learn, life on Floriana has really turned into a Shakespearean tragedy. Friedrich died several months earlier, also under mysterious circumstances. After the drought, crops didn't yield in the way Dora and Friedrich hoped. So despite being vegetarians, they ate some of their chickens for nutrition. The day after they did, Friedrich just up and died. It all happened so fast, but he presumably died from food poisoning. The problem with that explanation was, Dora apparently ate the same chicken as he did, and she barely experienced any stomach pain. So the tables turn completely. The Wittmers start to become suspicious of Dora. Hancock even wonders if maybe she was up to no good which obviously complicates the fact that so much of what we know about what happened on Floriana comes from Dora. And certain elements of her story have been called into question. For example, Dora claimed she shared a loving moment with Friedrich right before he died, but according to Margaret Wittmer, that couldn't be further from the truth. She remembers Friedrich using his final strength to write a message to Dora that read, I curse you with my last dying breath. Ultimately, Captain Hancock walks away believing Friedrich's death was truly an accident. 
and I hope he's right. As for what happened to Eloise, Robert, Rudolph, and Nugarud, there hasn't been any investigation into their disappearances or deaths. Not that I know of anyway. This is where their story ends, with all its loose ends, and the conspiracy theories start. It's a case unlike any I've covered before. It's hard to know what to do with what information we have, in part because we don't know how much can be trusted. And even if we could trust what we have, what does justice look like when nothing about it is black and white? The only clear victim in this story is Rudolph Lawrence, and I can't say with any certainty that he spent his entire life as an innocent man. Was any of it an accident? Was all of it murder? If so, is there a case to be made for self-defense? What would have changed if the residents of Floriana decided to create paradise together? I couldn't find any record of comments made by surviving family members. After Friedrich died, Dora moved to Germany. The Wittmers became the only residents of the island. Margaret lived on the island until she died in 2000. She never changed her story. Eloise von Wagner Bosquet set sail on a yacht and was never heard from again. Thank you for listening. In the time it took you to listen to this episode, 30 people disappeared in the United States alone. If you or someone you know needs assistance with a missing person case, please visit seasonofjustice.org. Season of Justice is a nonprofit organization that provides funding to law enforcement agencies and families to help solve cold cases. For full disclosure, I am a member of the board. It's a great resource for both law enforcement and families in order to bring closure to those impacted by unsolved violent crime. Among the many sources we used for today's episode, we found the documentary The Galapagos Affair, Satan Came to Eden, as well as Doris Drauch's memoir, A Satan Came to Eden, extremely helpful to our research. If you or someone you know is in an abusive partnership, there are tools out there to help. If you don't feel comfortable contacting the police, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Thank you for listening. You can find all episodes of Disappearances and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Disappearances stars Sarah Turney and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Alex Button, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Disappearances was written by Lori Gottlieb, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle and Connor Sampson, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Mickey Taylor. To hear more stories hosted by me, check out my other podcast, Voices for Justice.